Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Good morning, Revo. Uh, my name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, this morning. Um, you're catching us in the middle of a sermon series called Annual Growth, and it all revolves around this big question. How do you know when you grow? How do you know when you grow? We know when we grow physically because we can take measurements. We know when we grow financially because we can check our accounts. But how do you know when you grow spiritually? Are you growing in a relationship with Jesus? And are you moving forward and making progress? Um, we kicked off this series on January 1st talking about how one of the ways to know if you grow is, become, is when rest becomes rhythm. Uh, when you observe a Sabbath on a, on a regular basis to refocus and rekindle your heart with God and that passion. Last week we talked about, you know when you grow, when you move from spectator to servant. When you actually get in the game uh, to make an impact in the lives of people around you. That's another way to know when you grow. And this week we're going we're gonna to talk about a, another concept. And, and if this idea is, the, in, the, in Scripture, if... If an idea is important based on the amount of times that it appears in the Bible, then today's sermon may be one of the most important aspects of your spiritual growth. If it's just alone by the amount of times that God mentions it in Scripture, then that's, that's a big indicator of what we're talking about right now. Let, let me give you some, some uh, context here. In, in Scripture, uh, belief, the word faith or belief, occurs 272 times. I mean, that's a, that's a big idea. That's a big subject and concept that we read about in Scripture, faith or belief. And so, like, that's a, that's a big idea. Uh, another big idea that, that occurs in Scripture is the, the phrase, fear not. Uh, fear not occurs in the Bible 365 different times. I've often heard people say, there is a verse telling you to fear not for every day of the year, 365 Times scripture says, fear not. Uh, prayer, prayer is important, right? I mean, it's talking to God, it's it's Jesus talks about it, Old Testament, New Testament. That's a big theme in scripture. Well, prayer is mentioned 371 times in scripture, and maybe the biggie of them all, love, right? I mean. God talks about loving God and, and, and loving each other. Those are the two greatest commands. Even in 1 John chapter 4, uh, God chooses to finish this sentence. God is, he chooses to say God is love. He could have used any other word. But he said God is love. Love, and the concept in scripture happens 741 different times in the Bible. But the subject that we're going to talk about today... This word or a form of the word appears 2,162 times. This word occurs more than faith, hope, love, fear, and prayer combined. The word is give. Give 2,162 times. Do you think that that's an important theme in Scripture? Old Testament, New Testament, the prophets taught about it, Jesus taught about it, and unfortunately, this is the spot where a lot of people stop growing. 
This is the spot where if you were to look at your spiritual body, there are not a lot of stretch marks going on in the giving area. Almost called this series Stretch Marks. I thought that would have been really cool. I don't know why. It's this, this theme that is prevalent throughout Scripture. Most people stop growing at, at this point. And so I want to talk about that. When The idea of when your generosity is accompanied by joy. I'm not talking about just giving. I'm not talking about just like increasing the amount that you give. But when you have joy in your generosity, that is when you know you're growing. That's when you know in your life you're beginning to experience this growth in this all-important area in Scripture. A um, little audience participation time. Who remembers opening up their first checking account? First checking account, going to the bank. I hear you. Who opened up their first checking account younger than 18 years old? Bunch of savers in here, man. That, that is pretty awesome. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad used to pay my brother and I to mow the grass. Now, I know what you're thinking. When you have two sons, you should never have to mow the grass again in your life. My dad knew that. As soon as my brother and I were born, he's like, I'm never going to have to do yard work again. This is awesome. And so usually, like, my dad would, would balk at actually paying his sons to do work. Right, because he says, "I'll pay you. Are you eat every day, don't you? Right? You like that bed you sleep in? Yeah, I paid for that too. But here's what my dad was doing: my dad would pay my brother and I ten dollars to mow the grass, not because he wanted to compensate us for our work, but because he wanted to teach us money management. He wanted to start at a very young age, saying, "I want you to have some money so that you can know what to do with money, so that you can know how to spend, you know how to save, and you know how to share." Um, your, your, your money. And so he would, he would pay us. And like, I'm trying to outsmart the system. I would go out there and mow the grass and I would put the lawnmower on the highest setting and I would mow it. And then the next day I'd put it on a low setting and I'd mow it again. I'd be like, dad, you owe me 20, man. Mow the grass twice this weekend. You said 10 bucks, a, 10 bucks a time. Give me that money. And uh, he wasn't down with that. So here's what he did. When I started to build my empire, uh, $10 at a time, mowing the grass, my dad said, here's what we need to do. We need to take you to the bank. We need to take you to the bank. And my dad took me to the bank, and I opened up two accounts. I opened up a savings account, and I opened up a checking account. I did this around 14 years old. Savings account and checking account. And what I didn't know was my dad was encouraging me to open up two accounts because he wanted to teach me how to save I thought I was opening up two accounts because I was just so wealthy, right? And I just needed somewhere to hoard all this money that I was making mowing grass. And so he, he taught me those things, this, this idea of money management. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, when I, when I opened up that account, I had a strategy concerning money. And unfortunately, I believe this strategy probably existed in your life and to this day is the strategy that most people implement when they think about money. Here's, here's a strategy about money. Make more so that you can have more. Then you can get more and do more. You get that? Like, I wanted to make more money so that I could have more money. Because I knew when I had more money, I could get more stuff and do more things. And that's the cycle, like, right? Even from a very young age, when you're mowing the grass or doing chores. I got my first job when I was 15 years old, working at a restaurant. And, and it all revolved around, hey, you need to make money and so you can have more money. And then you can do more and get more things. And, and unfortunately, that is how many people view finances. That's all it's there for. Make more so you can have more, do more, and get more. And that idea makes us get on this 
treadmill of, of work and the treadmill of saving and earning and putting away and buying. And then the cycle has to repeat itself because once you do more and get more, you have to turn around and make more in order to replace what you just spent. And so many people leave this growth on the table. So many people believe that our object in life and that the purpose of our finances is for us to grow our money. But Jesus made it clear in Scripture that there's actually a role that money has to grow us. Did you know that your money can grow you? That your outlook on finances is just not to grow your bottom line, not to grow your account, not to grow your money, but that money can actually help you grow. Not just financially, but also spiritually. But again, so many people tend to, to leave this on the table. So today, for Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, like you, you, you're a Christian, you're, you're on Team Jesus, this is a non-negotiable for us. Like this isn't even something like, ah, I'll pray about it, I'll think about it. Like no, this, this is a way that we honor and worship God. It's a huge area of our life that we do that. But if you're here today and you're a non-Christian, you, you don't claim to follow Jesus, you just walked in here and you're just like, what is this place? I'm just here to, to hear it out. Hey, listen, you picked a great Sunday just to come in here and hear what this is all about because you're going to get to learn what followers of Jesus do with their finances and what God has actually called us to. We're going to do Malachi today. Malachi chapter 3. It's a throwback to the Old Testament. If you flip to your Bible in Matthew, then just go to your left one page and that's Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Bible in the Old Testament. And it's where we're going to be at today. And here's the, the layout of Malachi. This is how it works. Uh, Malachi was a, a man, a prophet, that would speak to God's people and deliver God's message. He was literally the middleman. God would speak to Malachi and tell him, hey, tell my people this and quote me on it, okay? Like this isn't Malachi speaking. This is God speaking to his people for the benefit and the instruction of his people that, that Malachi is speaking to here. And, and here's the big point. Here's the big point of Malachi. Malachi was trying to convey to the people, you are missing out on what life is all about. In Malachi 3, he hones in specifically on finance. He says, guys, please don't miss out on what money is all about. It's got to be bigger than just growing your money. And Malachi communicates how actually our money can grow us. Here's what he says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, from my commands, and have not kept them. Here's what God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Maybe this morning you're in here today wondering that after all of your wandering, if God would actually have you back. Maybe you're sitting there and saying, man, after all of the things I've done, after all of the things that I've said, after my kind of period of separation from God, I'm wondering after all that wandering if God would still want me and still desire me. Here's a promise from Scripture that says, man, if you turn back to me, then I will come back to you. That God desires that relationship no matter what you've done, no matter what's been going on in, in your life. That God desires that. So you may be asking, like, so how does that work? How do I actually come back to God? What does it look like in the different areas of, of my life? So here's what he says in verse 8. 
he, he poses a really interesting question. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Here's what God says, in your tithes and contributions. Now, it's kind of a, a, a weird question here because, like, let's be honest. Can anybody rob God? No, no nobody can rob God. I mean, like, wh- who would want to do that anyway, right? Like, that's somebody you probably don't want to mess with. You probably don't want to steal from. Like, nobody can rob God. It's not like God has his wallet halfway hanging out of his back pocket, and you just come by, and you're like, boop, got it, and you walk away. This is not a spiritual pickpocketing thing. So the answer is no. But the power in the statement is God turns right back around and says, you can't rob God, but, but you're doing it. <laughs> you're, you're, actually, you're actually doing that. Well, how, how do you rob God? And he's speaking to the church, to followers of Jesus, and he says, you're, you're doing that through your tithes and offerings, withholding those things from God. Now, tithe is, for some people, a really weird word. Uh, tithe is not a church word. Tithe is not a spiritual word. Um, this is not just something in the Bible or in Scripture. Tithe really means a tenth, one-tenth. And because we don't know that, we don't use that language in today's culture. You know, you don't go up and to, to McDonald's and have a coupon and say, hey, I've got a tithe off of a number one combo, and I just want to turn, turn this in. Like the car dealer doesn't say, now there's a sticker price, but because I love you, I'm going to give you a tithe off of that. And uh, let's figure out how you can get this car home with you, and I'm going to sell you this car. Um, it's not a spiritual word, but it, it comes to, to fruition, and it's used mainly in the setting of a local church because it's language that we find here in Scripture. And so this was the big idea in Scripture in the Old Testament that we would give God 10%. And I want to use that word give very loosely. I'm going to explain that in a minute. He called his people to give 10% of their money back to God as an act of worship, as a way that we honor God with our finances. And, and I like what he says with, with tithe. It says not just to give your tithe, but the tithe is the first 10%. Sometimes we get that confused. We, we think that at the end of the month, whatever we have left, if we have any left, then we can give it. Or let's just make sure everything else is taken care of, and then we'll kind of give a nod to God and, and tip our hats and say, okay, well, you got lucky. I had 12% this month, so I'm going to give you 10 Or, sorry, God. I went to Starbucks too many times, and so I can only give you like $10 this month, which is less than 1%, but it's cool. That latte was awesome. Um, but I want to give you something. So here's what Scripture says. It says when you give first, you never run out. Like if you give to God first, you will not come to the end and have to make excuses for why you can't do it. You'll never have to apologize. You'll never have to be filled with guilt. You'll never have to worry about honoring God with your finances if you do it first. And so he says, take the first, trust me with it. Trust me. Like, just understand that this command is, I know what I'm talking about, and, and this is a command to teach you something. This is a command that will help not you grow your money, but will help your money grow you. So trust me with the first 10% that we give. But our tendency, my tendency, is to think of me first. I want to get everything I want. I want to do everything I want to do. I want to have everything that I want to have. And at the end, if I can hook God up, then that's awesome. And if not, then, hey man, I, I'll hit you back next month. <laughs> I'll try to make it up to you. you. You know my finances, God. I was a little bit short this month. Didn't plan ahead. Didn't invest that first fruit. And so it's interesting that God actually calls his people to start 
with giving. Not to end with it, but to start our finances and our giving with the honoring of God. So here's, here's verse 9. It says, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He's looking at his church that is not being faithful with their finances, that they're not growing, and he says, you're robbing me. And he says, listen to this, the nation suffers because of it. That's a, that's a huge point there in Scripture, because did you know that your faithfulness with your finances has more of an impact than just you? Did you know that? Did you know that there's a city that is starving for the gospel message that can be impacted by our generosity? And if there's a shortfall in that generosity, oftentimes there are needs that go unmet. There are people that suffer. There are ministry needs that go unanswered. We've got we to gotta, we gotta have a kingdom perspective about our finances. When we withhold things, it actually has an impact, not just on our church, not just on our families, but on an entire city. It can have an impact on the power of the gospel going forth in the most effective way. It's the calling that the local church has. And so he says, the curse is not only on you, but it impacts the whole nation as a result of our inability to want to grow in this area. The decision that we make to, to withhold those finances to God. I, I love this concept because he says, when you, <laughs> when you save your money, you're actually robbing yourself. Now, only in God's economy does that make sense. Only in God's economy does it say, when you choose not to give, you are hurting you. You're hurting your family. You're hurting people around you. You're hurting the nation in which you live, the calling that I've placed in you. Like Everybody else says, no, no, if you save your money, you're hurting yourself, and you're helping yourself, and maybe everybody else doesn't get helped as much, but God's economy says, look, you trust me with your finances. Not only does the immediate need outside get met, but I'll bless you as well. All the needs get met. All the, like the trust and the faith in what our finances can do for us in that setting is what Scripture communicates to us. Only in God's economy does He say, the more you give away, the more blessed you will be. The more you give away, the more faith and trust that you have in me with your finances, the more I'll do in your life, the more I'll teach you, the more things that you will see unfold right, right in front of you. And so here's the, here's the big verse, verse 10. If you've been hanging out in church before, you've, you've probably heard verse 10 before. Here's what God commands. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Listen to that language that he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Bring it, like don't, don't spend it on the way, don't, don't, don't leave it behind. And he says, when you do that, there will be food for me in my house. There will be food in my, so when he says, bring to the storehouse, God's house, he's talking about 
The church, right? The church is God's house. Bring it here so that when there are needs in the community, that they will be met, that there will be food to be given out, that people will be fed both physically and spiritually as a result of the church being able to mobilize and take finances out to the ends of the earth. And that's the promise. He says, bring those, bring those. Now listen, God does not say, give the tithe to the church. Did you catch that? He says, bring the tithe to the storehouse, into the storehouse. There's a huge difference between bring and give. If you can get this, this will totally revolutionize your viewpoint on generosity. I'm telling you, it'll flip your giving upside down. Here's the the big idea behind it. You bring your money to God because you can't give God something that already belongs to him. You can't do it. You can't give something to God that already belongs to him. You simply bring it back. Let me give you an example. If, if you came up to me after the service and said, hey, man, I know you got an SUV. You got a big SUV. I'm moving this week. Can I borrow your car? And I'm going to tell you, sure, here's the keys. Go borrow my car. And you say, hey, I'm going I'm I'm to bring it back on Monday afternoon. I know where you live. I'll bring it back to your house. I'll say, great. Uh, here's, your, here's the car, go take it. Well, let's say you move, you, you use the car, you come back to my house Monday afternoon and you knock on my door. Open up the door and you look at me and say, hey, I got something for you. <laughs> Been thinking about this. You're going to be so fired up. I think you're going to like the color. Outside in your driveway is a black Honda Pilot Here's the keys. I want to give you a car. I want to give it to you. No, no, man. That's my car, man. You didn't just give me a car. You know what you did? You brought me back my car. I didn't just get a car, man. When you're done with my car, you bring it back. Hopefully you put a little gas in it, maybe even washed it. But you don't give me a car. You bring it back to me. Why? Because that car belongs to me. You're not giving me anything. You tracking with me? Okay, well, let's do it again. I got another example. I was hoping for like a big yes for that. Here's what I want you to do. Everybody pull out your wallet right now. Everybody pull out your wallet or your purse. Come on, don't be too cool for school. Everybody's participation. Pull out your wallet or your purse or maybe your phone if you pay with your Apple phone. Uh, Pull that out. I want you to hold it up right now. Everybody hold it up. Everybody got it? Everybody's playing along. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to hand that to somebody beside you that you do not know. Hand it to someone right now. Come on, hand it to them. <laughs> hey, so, hey, whoa, whoa, some of you looked and then you turned the other way and gave it. A, that's rude, man. It's just rude. All right, everybody got it? Everybody switched? All right, so here's what I want you to do. Open up that wallet. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, man. But seriously, we are going to pass the offering basket right now, and I want... I want you to give freely like you've never given before. All right, right, do this. Uh, Hand hand it back to the person. Hand it back. And don't look in it. They didn't mess with it, man. Come on. These people are trustworthy and they love Jesus. Now, you're not going to leave here and say, you'll never believe what happened in church today. Someone gave me a wallet full of money. And there was credit cards in there that I could just spend. 
They didn't just give you your phone back and say, unbelievable, I went to church today and got a brand new iPhone 7. No, they didn't give you anything. They brought it back to you. Man, when we begin to view our finances, not as I have to give something to God, but that God has trusted us with what he has entrusted us with, then it opens up your mind on on money. God says, bring. You want to know why I said bring? Because it's mine anyway. I'm the one that gave it to you. So here's the deal. I'll give you 100%. Bring back to me 10% as an act and a trust, as an act of worship, as an act of faith. We're not giving God anything, man. Sometimes with our giving, we're like, really, God? Do you really need a loan again? I feel like you're taking my money. I feel like you're pickpocketing me. Why do I have to give you my money? You're not. You're bringing it back to him because he gave you everything you have. Bring the tithe into my storehouse. It's a big shift. Are you going to trust God with what he has already entrusted you with? That's the story of our finances. That's a a big shift. Just like God gives to us, we simply bring it back to him. Have you ever done a re-gift in your life? Don't be ashamed of it. I re-gifted a gift one time, many times, but one time in particular. Uh, and, and when I was given the gift, uh, I wasn't told, uh, like, I, I was told what it was without opening it up. Somebody came up to me and said, hey, I got you a gift card. It's to a, uh, like, a, a new Chinese restaurant here in town, and um, so I just wanted you to have it. And uh, it was just in a small envelope, so they told me what it was. Well, I, I don't eat that place, and Elizabeth doesn't eat any Asian at all, and so I was like, hey, thanks, you know, wrote him a thank you note, appreciate it very much, and then I said, well, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to give, I'm going to re-gift that, it's a gift card, so next thing came around, one of our uh, friends had a birthday, and I said, hey, got you a present, man, I want to hook you up, it's a uh, gift card to this place called P.F. Chang's, and uh, we just, we'd love for you to have it, Um, happy birthday. What I didn't realize is inside the card they had put a note in there for me. <laughs> ah. So I had to cross that bridge with them when I got there. And it's like, you know, re-gifting, it sounds impersonal. It sounds like you don't care. It sounds like, wow, that was not a lot of thought in there. But do you know who loves a re-gift? God. God loves a re-gift. Because anytime you give to him is a re-gift. Because everything you have came from him. So God says, hey, re-gift it to me. Bring the tithes to the storehouse. Bring it in as an acknowledgement that I gave it all to you anyway, and that you're going to trust me with the remainder. Now, this is not a uh, get-rich-quick scheme. Sometimes pastors will preach it that way, like if you'll mail in $1 today, by the end of the week you're going to go out to your mailbox and there'll be a $10 bill in there, and that's God's way of blessing you. That's not us. It's not here, and that's not what Scripture says. See, there's actually a blessing and a joy that Scripture talks about that is bigger than just a financial reimbursement. We're talking about a joy in giving. See if I won't open up the floodgates of heaven. And he doesn't say, and I will rain down money. 
He says, I will pour out blessings on your life, putting the joy in generosity, Man, allowing it to be a, just a, a thrill for us to actually be able to re-gift things to God. And this is what happens when people get on the other side of giving. A lot of people are on the side of, I have to give God something, I have to hook him up, I, he's pickpocketing me. And then on the other side, we believe that you can bring back to God. That there's a joy and a purpose and a fulfillment in our ability to give generously back to him, to meet needs throughout the city. I wish, I really do, I wish that everyone in here could experience just one time being on the other side of generosity. To, to, to have a desire and a love and a, and a joy behind their giving. Because I'm telling you, once you do it one time, you won't be able to stop. You'll want to you'll, you'll give away everything you have. When it brings you that much satisfaction and, and joy. Seven years ago, I lived in South Carolina, and God began to give us this, this vision and this calling to plant a church. And uh, didn't know what it was going to look like, didn't know what it was going to be called, didn't know who was going to go. Um, but I know we wanted to start a church for young families to, to be a catalyst of sorts of life change through Jesus, like a spark, something in the city to produce that kind of life change. And again, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know I, how to plan a church. I didn't know what it would be involved. And, um, but I had some guys that I spoke with, and they wanted to contribute financially to the church. So I was like, man, I guess I should open up a bank account. Um, so I went down the road to Bank of America, and I sat down with the banker and said, I'd like to uh, open up a business account. She's like, what's it for? I was like, it's a church. Uh, you know, we're starting a church, and so she was excited about that. And um, she sat me down, and she said, okay, well, let's start with the paperwork. What's it called? And I said, I don't know. I don't know yet. Uh, we don't have a name. And she said, you do see how that could be a problem, right? <laughs> like, uh, what are we going to name the account? So I was like, just put church on. Can it just be church? Is that name already taken? I don't know. <laughs> Um, she said, okay, well, um, uh, may, let's start here. What's the address? I said, we don't have one yet. Um, in fact, the reason I came to Bank of America is I don't even know if it's going to be in South Carolina, and I figured y'all's branches were everywhere, so <laughs> just kind of rolling the dice here. I, I don't know. Did, can I give you my home address? Um, what do you mean address? She said, well, um, how long have you been meeting? It's getting worse, man. I said, well, actually, we haven't, we haven't started yet. We have not started meeting. Okay. How many members do you have? Well, right now, and I looked down, and I don't know why I looked down, because I was like trying to pretend like I was doing some math. And I said, uh, well, we have two, uh, myself and my wife, Elizabeth, but, but my wife is pregnant. <laughs> and in a matter of weeks, our church attendance will go from two people to three people. And when you do the math, that is 33% growth. And for a church that has no name, no address, and no members, that's pretty explosive. That's unheard of, really, when you think about it. She finally got down to it. I don't know like, how I passed, but she's like, okay, we're going to let you open up this business account. And she said, you're going to need to make a deposit today. I said, okay. Um, she said, well, here's the news. Um, a minimum account balance for a business account is $500. I was like, bro, I don't have $500. And if I did, I still wouldn't be able to use it because this is the minimum account balance. Like, what are you talking about? So I go home, and Elizabeth and I pull together $500, somehow $500, and we bring it up to the bank, and um, she deposited it and gave me the deposit slip. And I can remember walking out into the parking lot seven years ago in a two-member church that had no name and no address. 
and looking at that $500 deposit slip and saying, all right, God, that's all I got. I was fresh out of school, didn't have a job, didn't know what I was doing. And immediately, God brought to my mind Malachi 3.10. He said, test me. See what I do when you put your faith and trust in me with your finances. Within 24 hours, I sat down with one of my friends, and they wrote a check for $5,000 and said, here, put this in the account. Walked up to the bank. I was like, let me talk to Nancy. <laughs> Nancy came up. I put that check. I was like, boom. She's like, you got a church name yet? I was like, shoot. Not yet. I'm working on it. It's only been a day. But that guy sat down with me, and he was so excited that he was our first contributor. I told him, I was like, right now, I'm, I'm our highest contributor with $500. And he said, man, I am so excited that I get to be the first one to give to the mission that God has called you to. And I was like, not as excited as I am. <laughs> and there was so much joy in that generosity. I had a couple invite me to their house uh, one time and give me a call and they told me a story about what God had done and how they had blessed him and, and they, uh, they, gave a, they wrote a check for $10,000 and um, he said you know we could have put this in the offering basket but then we wouldn't have had the chance to tell you about how God had blessed us with this and how he had given it and how we are so excited to give and so we wanted you to come over to our house and, and just hear about the story joy in generosity when we launched the North Campus almost three years ago, I had a guy that doesn't even live in North Carolina give me a call, and he said, I just put a $10,000 check in the mail to you because I know you got a new facility, and you're probably going to need that. There's probably some stuff in there that you want to do, but I just wanted to tell you, I didn't want it to go straight to the P.O. box without you knowing because I believe in it, and I, and I loved giving in that way. Joy and generosity. I recently met with a friend of mine that says, my wife and I sit down at the beginning of the year, and we lay out how much of our money we get to give away. And then every month, the first day of the month, we decide who we're actually going to give it to. He said, in the month of January, we wanted to give it to Revo. And so I want to write you a check for $5,000 and just let you know how. And he told me this. He said, my wife and I get so excited when we get to, to, to talk about who we're going to give it to. And every month it's different. And we get to call this person and tell them that we're going to send them a check. And, and we, just get, we just get a thrill of that. And he told me this. He said, Nathan, I wish everybody could be on this side of generosity. I wish everybody could be on this side of the joy that we get to experience. There was another man that doesn't even, doesn't even go to Revo Church. He was walking through our new South Fork facility, walking through the auditorium. And he noticed all the pews sitting there, and he's like, you want, you want to use these pews? I was like, you know, man, we, we have pews at the North Campus, and it doesn't hurt us at all. Uh, man, it's, it's a, you know, we'd love to have chairs, but chairs are expensive, man. It seems like $35 a piece to have nice chairs. And so, like, we have the pews. We're just going to use them here. And he said, well, how many chairs would this room fit? And, and I told him, and, and um, the next day he called me back, and he said, hey, I went home and talked with my wife, and we want to we pay for all the chairs get rid of those pews, man, we're going to pay for all those chairs, we'll write you a check for $12,500, um, okay, yep, <laughs> you want me to give you the address, or, <laughs> doesn't even go to our church, Does, not even a member here, and he just says, man, I love what you guys are doing, I love that I can be a part of it, but can I tell you my favorite one, uh, recently I helped a high school student get a job at a restaurant, and his first shift was on a Saturday night, and it was a training shift, and he only had like two or three tables, and on Sunday morning, he came in with a check in his hand, 
And he said, last night, I, I made $21.40 in tips. And he handed me a check for $2.14. And he had a huge smile on his face. He said, this is the first time in my life I've ever tithed. And this is amazing. Like, I didn't even want to cash that. I wanted to frame that check. <laughs> it's like, this is crazy, man. The joy in generosity. It's not about an amount. It's not about twisting your arm or making you feel bad. I just want you to see the other side of giving. I want you to be able to experience the freedom that God has called us to. I want you to know what it feels like to bring back instead of have to give. To, to, to live a life in a, in a, in a, in a finances open-handed instead of closed-fisted. And the blessings that Scripture says, it will happen. I will make it rain on you. I will open up the floodgates of heaven. And you see what happens when you put the joy back in your generosity. I hope this morning that you can learn to trust God with all that he has entrusted with you. Let me leave you with 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, since you excel in so many ways, since you are so awesome in so many ways, man, that's, that's you. That's, that's you guys. In your faith, in your gifted speakers, amen, in your knowledge, <laughs> in your enthusiasm, in your love from us, since you excel in so many things, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. See, I don't want something from you this morning. I want something for you. God doesn't need a loan. He's not asking for a tip. He's not asking for a payday advance. He wants something for you to be able to experience the other side of generosity. This is how our team feels about you. Our message for you this morning. You excel in so many things. But this morning, trust God with what he has entrusted with you. And let's excel as a church in the gracious act of giving.